Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 31st, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 101 with the third paragraph beginning with, So Our Rule. Today's readers are 12 Steps of OA, Nancy S., 12 Traditions of OA, Joanne L., and our readers of the text are Sylvia F., Anita L., and Katie F. The share ID for yesterday, Wednesday, July 30th, is 6703. 6703. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. In a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy S. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Katie. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Katie, for your service, and thank you, and good morning, everyone. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nancy. And I will now ask Joanne L. to please read the 12 traditions of OA.
Joanne, please, please press star one so we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> there I was talking. Um, this is Joanne L. Thank you for your service. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Joanne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you please keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, please, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, on page 101 with the third paragraph. We are going to read the first, that first paragraph, the third paragraph, <laughs> for context, and then we'll focus our comment on the second paragraph. And I would like to ask Sylvia F. to please get us started. Sylvia? Good morning, Katie. Good, mar- good morning, visionaries. This is Sylvia, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. So our rule is never to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who's had ex- had has 
experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason going to this place? Or am I expected to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of of places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need to have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is, is in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you could bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. So uh, this is Sylvia, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. And this is such an important paragraph, two paragraphs for my recovery. And, you know, once again, I think what we're really talking about is that difference between abstinence, which is to put the food down, and recovery, which is to have the obsession lifted. And um, I came in uh, and got abstinence, but I, it didn't, until I worked the steps in the big book, I didn't get recovered, which is to be free, to be free. And so here it's saying, I mean, on the paragraph before, if we have a legitimate reason for being there, but even if I have a legitimate reason for being there, whether it, you know, it's a wedding, it's a book club, it's a, a family dinner, I still have to check my my motive, and if I'm thinking about you know having a family dinner, and what I'm really excited about is not seeing all the people, but I think that there's going to be fresh fruit pie, then I know that I'm not spiritually fit yet for that occasion because even if people don't eat it, you know, I went through a, a period of, you know, I felt like I was a food pusher because if I couldn't eat it, then I wanted my husband and everybody around, oh, eat this, just taste this, because I, that was that vicarious pleasure. And so that's still, for me, uh, not recovered in where I am now. So that question about motive is an important question, and I ask that question of myself all the time. What is my motive almost for anything that I'm doing because if my motive is okay, I'm you know if it's a spiritually fit motive and it's not for selfish, it's not that I'm going to kind of game the system and get to eat a little bit more. Any of those things, if my motive is okay, I'm going to be okay because it's I'm going to go in spiritually fit and with God's blessing. But this other line in here, you know, I have it highlighted, and that this has helped me so much. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it, and. For me, the family gatherings uh, were the worst. They were the, they have the biggest um, minefields in them because you know they, they say, of course, your mother knows where your buttons are. She installed them, and you know all this stuff with the siblings and all of that. So at some point, quite a few years ago, my sponsor worked worked on this with me. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. When I realized that if I went to a family gathering, it was I was never going to get what it was that I vaguely thought that I wanted. I was going to feel loved. I was going to feel a part of it. They were all going to approve of me. Whatever those myths were that I felt like I deserved from, from this group, from this family, if I gave those up and said, you know, if I understood in my mind, I am never going to get this stuff from these people. Why are you going there to get that? And just said, what can I bring to it? 
can I bring um, can I bring a pleasant disposition? Can I make sure that if someone can't get up and talk around, uh, talk, get up and move around, that I go sit with them? If you know, just to be sit and to be present with people. Can I help with the dishes? Can I just bring bring it, bring myself to it, and be present? What is so amazing is not only was I not triggering my foods, my food obsession, so I was free of the food obsession while I was there. It changed the dynamic because I wasn't participating in this old dynamic anymore. And so it's been quite a few years now. I'm having a you know family gathering when we're all back here, which is only a few months out of the year, on uh, this Sunday. And I don't have to worry about that event um, because – I know that I'm doing it for them, not for me, and that I'm just going to be present. I have no expectations. And so so the two things to wind up that I got out of this, very important in my, uh, in my recovery, is to always check my motive, that I'm not going in for selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, that I'm not going in with fear, and what can I bring to it? Quit expecting to get something out of it. Those two things absolutely critical and amazing in my recovery, especially with my family. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia. And who would like to comment this morning for three minutes on what was read? Kim? This is Paula. Larry. Kim, Larry, Paula. All right. So far, my ears have heard Kim, Larry, and Paula. Who did I miss? Really? Awesome. Okay, Kim, we're going to get started with you. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Go or stay away, whichever seems best, but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. So I think this is important. Once again, this is working with others. We're working with people. They're talking about guiding a sponsee after they've gone through the steps. After they're on solid spiritual ground means they've gone through the steps, they've had a spiritual awakening. So let's look at that difference. Before we've gone through this process, in the doctor's opinion, what is our mindset? It says they, um, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So while we're going through this process, we need to avoid these situations because we don't have a mind that is going to allow us not to have that mental twist to pick up. So now that we've walked through this process, what does it mean to be on solid spiritual ground? It says on page 85, we are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. So they're saying once we've had that spiritual awakening, once we're in that position of neutrality, once the obsession's removed, absolutely go or stay away, whatever seems best. But make sure you're on solid spiritual ground. But when we're going through this process, we need to protect our abstinence. Absolutely protect our abstinence. And I think of people that I work with, once again, what's that mind? Cannot differentiate the truth from the false. My alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I'll have girls I work with that say, you know, I, I'm, I have to be a good mother. I'm, you know, my child's in baseball. I, I work a snack bar. I have to work a snack bar. My child needs it. And I'll ask, well, are there any other things that you can do for the baseball team? 
well, yeah, they sell 50-50s, but I've always worked with snack bar because that's what we're doing. We're trying to get around the food. Well, I have to go to this fitness bridal shower. How could I not do this for my niece? And my job is I have to bring this special dessert that everybody likes. Well, maybe you can buy that dessert separately or maybe someone else can make the dessert. But our mind is saying, no, 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 that's my job because we identify events with food. Until we have that neutrality, we need to protect that. And once we have that that neutrality, we have to ask ourselves, are we on solid spiritual ground? Are we trying to get vicarious pleasure? Are we trying to prove that we're normal by putting ourselves in situations that we have no place in being? And I have to tell you, as someone has walked through these steps, I found a lot of these situations I had to be in honestly have no draw for me. I used one of my biggest binge days was, was the Super Bowl. Those are my favorite binge foods. That's, that's how I'm like, I'm not being around my friends in the Super Bowl. But let me tell you, once I went through these steps, I discovered a very unusual thing. I don't like football. I could care less about the football game. I just wanted to be around that food. And once I have a transformation, I had, I, ooh, I want a background noise. Once I had the transformation, I realized I don't want to be at a Super Bowl party because I don't want to watch football. Can we have to, excuse me, Jim, hang on one second. Can everyone please press star one for me? so that we can hear the rest of Kim's share. Thanks. And that is all I'm going to share. That's my sign. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Okay, Larry, we'll continue the sharing with you. Larry, please press star one so we can hear you. Hey, Katie. Uh, can you hear me? I can, Larry, yep. Okay, first, I like football. Um, <laughs> however, Larry recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thanks for your service, Katie. Yeah, no, what Tim said was so so right right on. Um, you know this this um, you know this this step. The principle behind this step is service. You know, and um, and that's what we're what I'm able to do today as the result of working through these steps. I'm able to do a whole lot of things that I wasn't able to do before. I can provide true service today. You know, I'm I'm, I'm following a, a God conscious pathway versus a self centered uh, pathway as I did before. So, you know, if I'm, you know, as Kim mentioned, if I'm not recovered, if I if I haven't had this complete psychic change, I for me I was still fueled by fear, and and an acronym for fear that I that I like is because uh, it applied to me. Frantic efforts to appear recovered. So I frantically, uh, frantically tried to appear recovered going to these things. You know, I think I can, I think I can, sort of mentality. And this is the way that I tended to approach these events. And service was the last thing on my mind. You know, but I, I knew deep down that I couldn't handle them. You know, I knew that. Before I was truly recovered, I, I tried to control them, tighter control, always always embedded with one thing. And, and you know what it was embedded with? Struggle. Struggle. You know, after becoming recovered, though, by precisely working through these steps, I didn't have to control them. Struggle, for me, was eliminated. It was gone. You know, the... Uh, Page 84 at the bottom, again with the promises, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. 
for by this time sanity will have returned. That that's what happened to me. It, it returned. I never I never had it. Now I know what it's like. Further down on eighty five, you know, we are not fighting. Uh, we're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. You know, and then the problem has been removed. Yay, you know, the pro- I'm cured. I don't need you wonderful saps anymore. Click. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the last time we heard from that, that jerk from Chicago. No, you're stuck with me. I must carry this message is one of the, one of the beautiful ways to remain fit spiritual, you know, to be in fit spiritual condition. And, you know, I can go anywhere and I can go if I have, a, you know, good reason to be there. But, but you know, as Kim said, <clears throat> before working through these steps entirely, and having this complete psychic change, this personality change that will arrest this disease, where the obsession will be lifted, where you will follow a, a God-conscious pathway. Okay. Yeah, before that, well, um, I couldn't... Well, I have uh, reference for... That's my cue to leave. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. Thank you, Larry. And we'll continue the sharing with Paula, please. Paula, go ahead. Good morning. This would be Paula from New Hampshire, and thank you for your service. Uh, What a beautiful paragraph to start with, and it starts with, you will note that we make an important qualification. Well, we all know about qualifying. That's how we came in this program. And now I continue to live, and I continue to qualify, and it says, ask yourself on each occasion. doesn't say omit one. Have I, and there's three sentences that follow it, and each one. Have I or am I? Here we are. And then it says, if you can answer these questions satisfactorily, now you have to answer them, is there in the, is my motive clear? Do I expect them to be this to me, to that? You need have no apprehension. There the fear is dismissed then because I've done the word. I've qualified. I've done the work. Go or stay away, whatever seems best. Now that was a foreign word to me. It was always, well, it's good enough. I feel good enough. Well, I kind of like going there. Well, I really don't rather not be in their company. No, no, it's best. It's got to be the best. You know, Bill W. often said, good is the enemy of the best. Good enough was always the enemy of the best. Here it says the best. But be sure you're on solid spiritual ground before you start. Don't wait until you get in and then say, you know, this bridge is a little bit shaky. Honey, it ain't going to hold you. But this part, and I want to go back. Think of what you can bring to it. That was never my first thought. It was what I can get out of it. Dear the transformation. And it says here, but if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Bill was very clear with his writing. Puts an exclamation point there. He's explaining to you and to me. You had better work with another alcoholic ahead. And as it was said before, when we come to this beautiful place, we are now, we have completed the the steps. We're working with another alcoholic. These are things that come together that qualify me to go to any place, anywhere, with anybody. To live, in other words, life fully and totally. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thanks, Paula. And this is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm just going to take a minute. I just 
really want to echo um, what everyone has said um, just in terms of guidance for how we live our life, right, moving forward. And um, I guess I wanted to, to focus on this latter part um, that was just commented on. Um, be sure you're in solid spiritual grounds, right, so like I am free of resentment and fear and that my motive is going and is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. That is not me, you know, as the previous speaker said. Like, what is the root of my problem? Selfishness, self-centeredness. What are you going to give me? If I go to this party, what can I get? Is everybody going to think about me? And um, Or I'm so selfish, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, everybody's going to be thinking of me, and I'm going to go, and nobody's going to like me. And I had a sponsor say to me once, like, you know, there's probably someone there that might be a little bit more uncomfortable than you. Like, think of excuse me, think of who you can help at that occasion. You know, think of, of what you can bring. Show up. Um, and a huge part of my recovery has been about showing up. It's been about, like, how many weddings and how many birthdays and how many rainy days occasions did I miss with my family because I had started eating and, oops, you know what, I can't come any longer. Something's come up. I can't come home for Christmas something's come up because I because my family is no longer meeting my needs and think of what I can bring to it and I love it if you are shaky you had better work with another alcoholic instead why because nothing will so much ensure immunity from compulsive overeating as intensive work with another um, compulsive overeater it reminds me who I am Right? Like if I'm so caught up in the mishigash of if I go, then they're going to think this and they're going to think that and who's it? Blah, blah, blah. That's all my disease, right? That's all my selfishness. And I need to die of self and I need to remember when I'm working with another woman, right? And she's telling me, I don't even know how I'm going to get through the day. What is the gift that I get? Oh my gosh, I remember that. And guess what, KDG? It's July 31st, 2014. You are not face down in the food. Oh my gosh, what a privilege. What a privilege. What an opportunity. Because what getting into work with other compulsive overeaters, it's not about getting some outcome. It's about reminding me where I would be if it weren't for the grace of God and most significantly what my primary purpose is. My primary purpose is not to get out of the occasion. And I use this for all my life. It's not to get out of my job. It is not to get out of the meeting. It is not to get out of my friends. It is to give. Think of what you can bring to it. God, let me be of service. I don't care whatever happens today. I'm your kid. Show me how to be of service today. And that is the privilege and opportunity that we get from staying abstinent and working with steps and getting a relationship with God sufficient to overcome with this disease. And with that, I do pass, and I'd like to continue our sharing on this second paragraph. Rakesit? Rakesit? This is Sharon okay. in Colorado. Sure. Okay, Sharon, we're going to have Rakesit first for three minutes, and then we'll have you for three minutes. Go ahead. Michelle. Oh, Hi. and um, excuse me, hang on one second. Uh, Rakesit, I did hear one other name, Rochelle. Um, so I have Rakesit, Sharon, and Rochelle. And excuse me, was there anybody else that I missed? Fantastic. Okay, so we'll get started with Rakesit. Please go ahead. Um, this is Rakesit, compulsive overeater in California. So I, I, when I go to events, I go in one of three stage, stages. I'm either eating everything in sight, and that's all I can think about when I go there. 
I don't care about anyone or anything. I'm not really present. All I am thinking about the whole time I'm at an event is how do I get the food? How do I get more food without someone seeing me, without, you know, not without being noticed. I'm just stuffing my face all day and all night. Another way I used to go to events is I would be abstinent. I would be abstinent, so I'm not eating the food, and I know that I'm supposed to go and just try and be social and give of myself. But many times when I was abstinent, I would still be thinking about the food. Not only would I be thinking about the food, so I'm not eating it, but I'm also in extreme self-pity. How come I can't have that? I'm being punished. God is punishing me. Look at those people. They get to eat that stuff. It's so good. But I, I can't eat it. I'm being punished. I thought, I thought I was being punished when I was abstinent. And then today I can go recover to events. And that is a completely different experience. Going recovered, I'm not in self-pity. I'm glad I'm not eating that food. I'm happy. I'm so grateful to God that I'm not eating that food, not shoving my my face the whole time I'm there. I can really be present. I can really, really be there for other people and for myself. And that is just that is just unbelievable that I can actually go places and not care about the food not care about the food, not feel sorry for myself that I can't have the food. So thank you too for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks, Tessa. And Sharon from Colorado, please go ahead. Oh, thank you, Katie. Uh, this is Sharon in Colorado, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to uh, zero in on that. Uh, do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. And I just love this chapter because, you know, this brings us to the process where we've gone through all of the steps, four through nine. We are now, by God's grace, living one day at a time uh, in steps 10, 11, and 12. And there is just, uh, there is just a, oh, so much wise guidance and counsel for us to follow and uh, it's just covered so clearly so that there isn't any um, question as to how we now handle these occasions. And by God's grace, I too have been set free from that um, bondage of even if I'm abstinent, uh, going to these places and all I can think about is the food and whether I'm getting it or not getting it. But now God is transforming and renewing and restoring my mind so that I am thinking more about what can I give to someone else rather than what can I get. And so um, it, it makes it so clear that we can go to any of these occasions and be 100% present for the people that are there and what a gift that is. And then the other is if you are on shaky ground, you know, it covers both sides of it, then you better work with another alcoholic instead. And so I just love this chapter because it's just so full of guidance for us to follow, just like all the every page before is, and uh, we can put this into practical uh, experience in our lives on every occasion where we, where we are with other people, whether it be family, friends, or whatever. And so with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sharon. And Rochelle, please go ahead. Hi, this is Rochelle. Can you hear me? 
I can, Michelle. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, this is uh, it's so wonderful to be on this meeting, and, I, and I'm so glad we're reading this, and I want to thank you for your service. It's such a beautiful uh, paragraph. Anyway, so um, I wanted to focus on that if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Uh, this reminded me of when I first became abstinent, and I, and I, I do the 90-day program. And when I got to 90 days, I said to my sponsor, so what do I get? <laughs> she said, you get 91 days. You know, so I thought that was really cute. And she said, well, it's now time for you to start sponsoring. I said, oh, what do you mean? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Don't worry. You'll be okay, and, and I will help you if you have any questions because, there's a, you know, we're connected to each other. So, and I went on to sponsor, but I thought it was so interesting that you say, if you are shaky, well, you know, sometimes I get the impression from people who are abstinent and working the steps that, uh, and they're not that, I don't know, maybe not don't have that much under their belt in terms of experience with abstinence and the steps, that how can they go about sponsoring when, you know, they uh, they don't know that much. They don't have that much experience. So it's so, so interesting because, obviously, historically, the way this is supposed to work is that um, the best way to keep your recovery is to go out and help somebody else who's got problems with food. That means no matter what your experience or you think the limitation of your experience, as long as you are in recovery, you can help another person, and that's the very best service that you can do for helping another person as well as yourself. And it doesn't mean you become their God. It becomes sort of a, a partner. You're mentoring each other. You're helping because you've just been there, done that. So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. And before we move on, who else would like to comment on what was read this morning? Okay, then I'd like to welcome Anita L. to please continue our reading. Anita? Hi. Good morning, everybody. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are a person, or if you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Well, I'm Anita, compulsive overeater and food addict, recovered just for today. And um, I have the entire paragraph underlined. However, the, the uh, line that I really underlined between the entire space uh, between the two sentences, two, two lines here, um, while you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. And, you know, I think that that's a huge part of uh, what we're promised. You know, we are promised 
inner peace and serenity will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Um, And, you know, the other things that were promised. And the miracle is that we are free from our obsession with food. And because I don't have to think about food, it's just sustenance to me at this point, I can live. I can live. I can be uh, available for people. I can be there to help carry the message. I can be there for fun and laughter and, and uh, you know, I can be the best wife, mother, sister, friend, cousin, whatever, teacher. I can be the best Anita who I can possibly be now that I am connected with my higher power on a daily basis. God brings me to such a beautiful place. I mean, you know, I do thank God every morning when I first open my eyes. Um, However, throughout the day, I'm saying thank you to God because I'm given so many gifts, and thank God I can see them today. Um, So I don't have to worry about being at a family event, or even last night, actually, I, uh, well, yesterday I went to the beach and I was with four of my really good girlfriends, and um, they bought something at a restaurant, and I said, well, I don't eat that anymore, I'll just bring my own salad. And so I brought my lunch, and I felt so good, and then I got a phone call from someone on the beach someone from Vision for You, I was able to talk to that person and listen and be totally present, 100%, share my experience, strength, and hope, and feel good about myself afterwards. And then um, when I went back to my girlfriend's house and everybody was cooking and it was time to eat the meal, first of all, I brought some of my own food so that I would have enough And then when it came time for dessert, my friend said to me who was hosting, she said, just take, you know, look at this. It's just a teensy-weensy sliver of one. And I said, no, thank you. She said, it's just a little bit. Don't you want to try it? And I said, no, thanks anyway. She said, well, would you like some fruit? I have blah, 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 blah. And um, you know what? After everybody left, she started to ask me about my program. And I was able to share this meeting with her and, uh, you know, give her the phone information and everything. And I felt on top of the world that I could carry the message. So why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking? So there not only was drinking last night um, by all my friends, there was eating also, sawing about the good old days. Um, in the pamphlet, before you take that first compulsive bite, remember, it it talks to us about that, that we're not supposed to uh, think about um, any real or imagine, imagined pleasure we used to get from food. Because, that, you know, why do that? It, it, it It's totally uh, going against everything that I believe because... I'm allergic to that type of food. Why would I even want to bring it into my consciousness? So um, 
Anyway, if it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure, or if it's a business um, engagement, then, you know, just deal with the business. And if I have a legitimate reason for being there, I'll be there, and I'll be there present to socialize, to be there for that aspect, to be with my relatives, whatever, instead of thinking about the food. It's a totally different mindset, and we are all promised that if we become recovered by working the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much for letting me share, and have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you, Anita L. And who would like to share this morning on what we just said? Anita J. Leanne from Florida. Patty M. Hang on one second, please. And I will list out who I've heard. Now, I think that there, I heard the names I've heard so far are Leanne, Patty, and Sarah. But I know that there was a name that I heard right before Leanne. Um, and it was, it was Anita J. Anita J. Okay. Was there anyone else that I didn't hear? I have Anita J., Leanne. Patty and Sarah W. Is there anyone I've missed? Great. So let's get started for three minutes with Anita J. Go ahead, please, Anita. Thank you very much. Uh, this is Anita J. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And this is the very first time I ever said that. And while I was doing this process, I was thinking, well, at some point I'm going to have to ask my sponsor, how will I know when I'm recovered? Well, I didn't have to ask her because I went to an annual five-day conference. I got back Tuesday, and it was during that five days of all that goes into a conference that I knew I was recovered. And I wanted to tell you, how did I know I felt as if I had done a turnaround on the whole world. It didn't matter what history I had. I've been in this organization 12 years. Um, I had four amends to make while there. I did three because four wasn't there. But my behavior at the place um, was just like living amends to all of them. It was, it was just... You know, I've been in since 1978. I never knew. I never knew about this. And I wanted to mention just specifically was that sentence of um, we sit with long faces in places where there's drinking, uh, sighing about the good old days. Well, I didn't sit with the long face, but um, we have a social hour from quarter to six to 6.30, six nights a week, and then dinner. And my way of handling things, because I didn't like it there. I felt uncomfortable, totally, totally ill at ease. I used to get there at about 6, 6.27, say hello to a couple of people, and then walk in with them all to dinner. And... Um, I found, I didn't plan this. I found myself every single night going there earlier and earlier and actually talking to people, sharing, laughing. It was just incredible. And 
Yeah, I've been like floating around here in pink, a pink cloud. I just am totally grateful. It's really the vision for you. I haven't read the big book since 1978. It's all we ever had at first. But the point is, starting in January, um, I've been listening from the doctor's opinion on with a sponsor who I didn't know was a vision for you sponsor when I asked her, but God knew. So with that, with gratitude in my heart that I can go anywhere or I could sit home alone or whatever, I can be safe and protected and I can be of service 24, not 24 hours a day. I have to sleep, but just grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. And Leanne from Florida, please go ahead. Hi, Leanne from Florida, recovered for today. Um, this is bringing to mind a lot of situations I had to go through in the very beginning. And what helped me a lot was to have that real matter-of-fact attitude. Like if I was matter-of-fact about what I had to do, um, I wouldn't get a lot of questions, just especially with my closest family. Um, my fir- One of my first abstinent meals was in a ice cream parlor. And um, I just remember I just had to have a very, very... Um, a mindset that I that I gleaned from my sponsor and from other people who were real matter of fact about what they had to do. Um, my disease helped me a lot because I wore it on my body. I was a concentration camp victim, and when people would see me eating, they didn't care what I was eating. They were so happy. Whatever you have to do, great, great. You're eating out of Tupperware, whatever. So I did have that on my side because most of the people around here who knew me thought I had cancer, they thought whatever they thought about me. So if they saw me eating, they didn't even bother me, didn't question me, nothing. She's eating. Great. So that that was going for me. But later on, I was invited to a lot of different things happen, baby showers. Um, my husband is on the board of a lot of people, and we would get invited to pretty just classy kind of things. And my prayer was always, God, work it out. Please work out my food. Show me how. And that prayer has saved me. God always worked it out. One of the things I was most worried about was a situation. It was with a pretty sticky occasion at a very kind of affluential atmosphere. And here I was with my Tupperware, and I was very committed to eating what I was supposed to. Well, it just so happened he had me. God had me sit next to somebody who was in cancer treatment, actually and eating the type, the way I eat. And um, he had to do the same thing. And we were both there together, and we discussed, you know, different things we're allergic to and how helpful it is the way we're eating. He he always had worked it out. Another occasion was when I had to go to a baby shower with a lot of young, hip people. I mean, these are cool people. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this one, God? And... Um, There happened to be a small little table way in the back of the kitchen, away from everybody, and I was able to easily slip what I was eating on a plate and just kind of walk around and hang out with everybody else, and nobody even knew what I was eating. He always works it out, and um, it says here, um, let's see, um, see, don't, um, don't go around with a glum face, go along by every means, and just coming back from a two and a half week world one 
whirlwind trip out west. Just having my own stuff with me at all times gave, gave everybody else freedom to go wherever they wanted. I love that. I just love taking care of myself in the morning, figuring out ways to pack my food that are easy and convenient, and then I'm free. I can go wherever they want. I don't even care. And it's just great being neutral and um, to be able to add to the pleasure and not have any inkling or thoughts about food or worrying about any of that. So just love that, having that matter-of-fact attitude. This is what I do. Thank you for listening. I pass. Thank you, Leanne. And we'll continue our sharing with Patty. Please go ahead. Patty, please press star one. Hello? Can you hear me? Hi, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Patty, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from California. And I'd like to point out the part in the paragraph where it says, at the proper time and place, explain to your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. And I would do this when I, before I was recovered. I would explain to my family, I would explain to my friends why I couldn't eat flour and sugar and, in quantities. And then I would sit there with a long face and, um, and they'd say, are you sure that you can't eat this stuff? Because they'd look at me and I would be so miserable. And, um, and then, you know, I'd say, okay, I'll have some. And, you know, they never knew whether I was going to have some or I wasn't going to have some. What's it going to be today? Is she eating? Is she not eating? Is she bringing her food? Is she not? They had no clue because I was just so back and forth with it. You know, I was so miserable with or without the food. I was miserable. And now that I'm recovered, I can go any place. And, um, and, and you know, people don't ask me anymore. Um at work, they used to always ask me, are you eating today or are you not eating today? Um, you know, and today they don't ask. They know I'm bringing my food. I'm happy about it. In fact, they look at my food and they say, that looks so good. What are you eating, you know? Um, it's just such a difference. And I'm just so grateful. And I do bring um, to the occasion, I try to increase the pleasure now. Um, of those around me and try not to make them feel uncomfortable that I'm not eating the food that they're eating, that it's fine that they eat it. I'm just not eating it because of my allergy and my obsession. So with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patty. And Sarah W., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Sarah W. from Iowa. Did you call on me, Katie? I couldn't hear. I did, yes. All right, thank you very much for your service. And when I say I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, I I really feel that in my soul. Um, You know, for me, um, you know, boundaries had to be a a large part of how I maintain, how continue to maintain my abstinence. And and I think that's what, what we're talking about here, to be able to state, you know, what we need to do take care of ourselves. It says at a proper time and place, explain to all your friends uh, why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. You know, so much has been said with the, with the previous shares and so beautifully done. And I think, you know, one thing that comes into my mind is that I have to um, 
you know, I, I now know what my what my purpose is in, in life is to be of maximal service to God and to others. And I think if we go with a joyful heart, it's kind of like the, the two different ways we go into things, whatever we're doing, whether, any responsibility that we take on. Are we doing it with cheerful service as like a Boy Scout? We are happy to do it. Or are we doing it begrudgingly, thinking, oh, you know, oh, my God, I have to go to this thing, and I'm really miserable. You know, I went to a face-to-face meeting this past week, weekend, and I hadn't been to a, I live 75 miles away from face-to-face OA meetings. I do attend meetings in town, but they're not the same program. And I, what I found for myself was, as many of us find, you know, a lot of people are, are struggling and, and um you know, some people are doing the best they can, but, you know, whatever way you want to look at it, what I needed to bring with me was the recovery that I had. And I think with that breeds more of the same. You know, if you go with a, with a, with a grateful heart, um, you know, people do start to acknowledge, whether it be that we go to an eating establishment, to a meeting, wherever we go, you know, we take the principles of the program with us. You know, I take my higher power with me and the principles. And so, um, you know, people start to respect your integrity because for years, you know, when I was in relapse, you know, I would say, you know, oh, you know, I'm really working on this. I'm really going to try, you know, and then I would tell my husband, you know, don't bring this into the house. And then the next moment I would. So, you know, people don't trust you when you start to do that. But when they start to see that, you know, this is how we live, it's like, you know, um, they see that, you know, we do have integrity. We are living differently. And that breeds more of the same. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. And I just wanted to echo everyone's sentiment. And I just, you know, it's place that says you were withdrawing from life little by little. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends eat, right? Like, so I'm naturally a lone wolf. Remember, Bill talks about his natural propensity to be a lone wolf in the doctor's opinion. It talks about that addict who, you know, deciding his case hopeless, locks himself in a deserted barn to die. Like, that's my natural MO, but thank you, God, I've had a shift of consciousness today that I'm not a victim that I can't eat flour, sugar, and quantities. Like, those are my alcoholic foods. That doesn't victimize me. And I can still have this this brain that's like, you know what, you're not meeting my needs. I'm taking my Barbies and going home. You're doing this. I'm not going to show up. But today, so much for me about my recovery is being KDG, the girl who shows up, not the girl who calls out, not the girl who, set, who calls out afraid, who calls out binging, who calls out unhappy, who calls out miserable. Don't start to withdraw again. Like, if you're spiritually fit, we can go anywhere. And that has been such a phenomenal lesson is that no matter how I feel, feelings are not facts, and I can show up with integrity today. And that is so beyond my wildest dreams. I never knew that I could actually show up for my life. And that is such a privilege. And uh, what a fantastic meeting. And um, it is now 7.55. So thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Katie F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.